Hi, friends. Welcome back to the State Tax Show, your home for the world of state and local tax. I'm Matt Hunsaker. On today's show, we take a whirlwind tour of the latest happenings in California. So last week, my daughter challenged me to give you my top three Taylor Swift albums. She wanted me to let you know, though, that she is not of herself a Taylor Swift fan, but wanted to push me out of my musical comfort zone a bit. It was an arduous journey, but yes, I actually listened nonstop to each Taylor Swift album from beginning to end. I'm not saying I've become a fan. But her music actually kind of kept me focused on work and was relatively easy to tune out. So without any further ado, here are my top three Taylor Swift albums. Coming at number one, 1989, followed by Reputation, and in third place, Red. So if you know anything about Taylor Swift, you can see that I am not a huge fan of the early country Swift, but am more of a pop Swift kind of guy. I never thought I'd hear myself saying that. Let me know if you want me to review any artists this coming week, and I'll be sure to take one for the team. We are long overdue on California. A lot has been going on that you need to know about. A lot of these things are still, shall we say, baking in the oven. So I'm just going to hit the high points today, and then we can buckle down and get into the weeds when things start to shake out a bit more. Last week, we talked about how state budgets are taking a hit because of COVID-19, and California is no exception. If the numbers I'm getting are accurate, they are projected to have a $54 billion shortfall over the next 14 months. A week or two ago, Governor Newsom issued a budget revision. This is the typical May revision. And in it, he addressed how to deal with this budget shortfall. And his idea was to limit corporations that have more than $1 million in net income from using net operating losses in 2020, 21, and 22. Coupled with that, he would also limit business incentive tax credits from offsetting more than $5 million of tax liability, also for tax years 2020, 2021, and 2022. Well, the California Legislative Analyst Office has just come out with some different suggestions. Instead of a cutoff for corporations with more than $1 million in net income, it would just cap the amount of net operating losses that any particular taxpayer could claim. Both think that their proposals would generate somewhere in the neighborhood of about $1.4 billion in revenue. So those are just a few of the ideas that they're floating around. June 15th is the deadline for the fiscal 2021 year, which begins July 1st. So expect to hear quite a bit coming out of California over the next few weeks as they grapple with this budget shortfall. Last year, 2019, the California legislature passed AB 147, and that was their remote seller 
and marketplace facilitator bill. You know, this is the bill that said that if you have over $500,000 of sales into the state, then you have economic nexus. And the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration, well, they've been working on regulations for this bill. And I think the last interested party meeting, at least the last one I remember, was in October of 2019. Well, on May 4th, that's Star Wars Day for all you Star Wars fans out there. The California Department of Tax and Fee Administration issued their proposed sales tax collection rules for marketplace facilitators. That rule is, I think, going to be designated as Regulation 1684.5. It could be on the books as early as July 1st, but it's an emergency rule, so there will still be more of a process before we have an actual final rule on the books. So what does it do? Well, it mostly clarifies definitional provisions, and that's really where we need most of the help. It defines things like marketplace facilitator and marketplace seller, and the periphery of those definitions is where the taxpayer community has had plenty of difficulty. It also implements Senate Bill 92, and if you're not familiar with that, that allows delivery network companies, think of like restaurant meal delivery services, to, be, to elect to be treated as marketplace facilitators. It also says that newspapers and websites that advertise products aren't marketplace facilitators. So think of your typical classified ads or something like Craigslist. The regulation gives some examples and just generally offers a little bit more clarity, which is sorely needed. For example, it, it clarifies that Sellers count their own sales and also sales through marketplace facilitators to see if they meet the $500,000 economic threshold. Now, I haven't fully digested these proposed regulations, so we'll come back to it down the road when we do an update show on marketplace facilitators and what's going on in that area. California has a False Claims Act. Basically, if you defraud the state, then you get hit with treble damages, civil penalties, and attorney's fees. The interesting feature of these False Claims Acts, though, is that the whistleblowers, they can rake in 15 to 33% of the proceeds, and that's if the government actually litigates the case. But the government can decline to litigate the case, say we don't want anything to do with it, in which case the whistleblower can litigate on the government's behalf, and if they win, they get 25 to 50% of the proceeds. Well, California's Attorney General is working on getting Assembly Bill 2570 passed, and that would apply the False Claims Act to tax claims. Last year, the effort was unsuccessful, but so far this year, it has been voted out of the Judiciary Committee and is now on its way to the Appropriations Committee. The bill would apply the False Claims Act to tax claims over $200,000, but only if the fraudster has personal income, gross receipts, or sales that exceed $500,000, and that has to happen in the year of the fraud. So here's how it would work. The whistleblower would file a sealed KETAM suit, and the AG or the local government would have 60 days to decide whether to intervene and handle the case. If they decide not to, the whistleblower can then litigate the case. 
But the government can petition the court to dismiss the claim if the government considers it to be meritless. Now, what's interesting is that the private party can't dismiss the claim without permission from the government. And I think the idea here is to prevent private party settlements that don't have any government review. I'm going to stay out of the politics of this. It is most certainly very contentious. Uh, obviously, most in the industry thinks, think it's a terrible idea and liken it to making plaintiff lawyers tax bounty hunters. How about some California property tax? California has a few voter initiatives that are likely to show up on the November ballot. They have two different names. One is the Family Home Protection and Fairness and Property Tax Reassessments Act. I don't know why they had such a long name, but it couldn't come up with a cool acronym for it. The second one is the California Schools and Local Communities Funding Act of 2020. So these names probably don't mean much to you. Let me tell you what they're doing, though. The first one has a bunch of property tax measures in it, but the one that's going to be most applicable to this crowd is a tweak to California's Proposition 13. If you're not familiar with Proposition 13, what it does is it it locks in the property tax value with some incremental uh, in, inflationary uh, adjustments, but basically it locks in the value until there's a change of ownership in the property. Well, that change can include a change of control of legal entities that hold the property. Generally, it's hard to change control of a legal entity without triggering a reassessment of the property at fair market value. But in some circumstances, you can design things so that a legal entity can be sold in a way that no single buyer entity gets more than 50% ownership. And if this is done right, then no property tax reassessment is triggered. It's a little tricky to explain how this works, but many in the state view it as a loophole. And this first ballot initiative that I mentioned would supposedly close it down. But if the second proposal, the California Schools and Local Communities Funding Act of 2020 passes, then this would all be moot. And why? Well, because it would create what is often referred to as a split role. What it would do is it would allow residential properties to continue to be protected by Proposition 13, but commercial and industrial properties with fair market values over $3 million would have to be appraised at fair market value each year, so they would lose the benefit of the Proposition 13 lock-in. This initiative would also provide a personal property tax exemption for small businesses and a $500,000 or an exemption on the first $500,000 of property of all other businesses. Rumor on the street is that this initiative, if it passed, would raise somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 billion in property taxes. You're going to get different numbers from different people on that, but it's a significant amount. I think the question most people are asking, or ought to be asking, is whether this tax is just going to be passed on to small businesses that rent from these bigger businesses, and then pass on those costs to their customers through higher prices. I'll leave that to the economists. While we're talking about property tax, many of you have asked about whether there is any property tax relief out there for value declines that are due to COVID. You see, normally property tax values are set on January 1st, 
And if something happens later in the year, well, you just have to wait for the next year to take the lower value. California and other states, but I just want to focus on California right now, has a disaster relief provision in its constitution that would allow some mid-year appraisal relief for properties that are damaged by a disaster. So a few things have to happen. First, the governor has to declare a disaster for the affected property. And that's not a problem in California because back on March 4th of this year, Governor Newsom declared, declared the entire state of California to be in a state of emergency. In addition, there has to be a local ordinance allowing for the disaster relief. And I believe that every single county in California has adopted the local ordinance. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. So the question that remains is whether property has been damaged by the COVID-19 epidemic. And this is where it kind of gets interesting in California, is there's some case law on the books going back to the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, where the California Court of Appeals basically said that restricted access to property is indirect physical damage. And so here, where you have a shelter in place, which I think started in California back in March 19th, that might constitute restricted access to the property, which could be treated as damage and potentially allow mid-year reassessment of the property. There's some legislation in the works. Uh, Senate Bill 1431 is working its way up, and it would give apartment building owners a disaster reassessment for pandemic-induced lost rents. So we'll have to see where that goes. That would probably trigger some litigation as to its constitutionality. In addition, I think later this week, let me give you the exact date here, uh, May 29th, the Board of Equalization is going to get together and talk about this particular issue. So we'll have more about their position later on. I really wanted to talk about the case called City and County of San Francisco v. All Persons Interested in the Matter of Proposition C, but we don't really have time to do it justice. And it's still in briefing right now, so we can get to this later. Basically, this case is asking the court to decide the question of whether local special taxes placed on the ballot by voter initiatives requires a two-thirds supermajority to pass. Like I said, this is still being briefed, but I'll keep an eye on this. And you should too as well, particularly if you're in San Francisco, where some of these taxes have the potential to be struck down. So we'll report back when there's more on this from the courts. Well, I was over ambitious last week and we didn't make it to Washington and Oregon. Hopefully we can get there next week unless something more pressing arises. So keep your fingers crossed. Down the road, I'm going to be doing a show just answering listener questions from the mailbag. So if you have a question for the show, please submit it to my email and you can find that in the show notes. Until next week, this is Matt Hunsaker for The State Tax Show. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. 
In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.